anyway, so glad to have everybody with us this morning. We are in week five, I want to say week five, or last, the last week of our series called By Faith. We've spent the last uh, few weeks walking through Hebrews 11. We've been looking at our spiritual heritage from our spiritual ancestors, our forefathers and foremothers in this great passage of Scripture. We've been looking at people such as Abel, going all the way back to the book of Genesis, and, and Enoch, and Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, the list goes on and on. So we're going to do a real, a real quick recap, just to make sure everybody's been paying attention the last few weeks. I'm going to try to make these as easy as I can. We, in Hebrews 11, also, too, if you have your Bible to Hebrews 11, you can cheat while I'm asking you these questions. Okay, Hebrews 11. If we remember, the author opens this passage of Scripture. He says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. By faith, the, those of old were commended by God as righteous, is what the writer ends up telling us. So just, again, a quick recap. Abel, what did Abel do that got him commended by God? He what? His offering. And how did he offer it? He offered it by faith. Y'all can shout this part out, okay? I know everybody knows the answer. So Abel gave his offering by faith. Hey, that's good. Okay, Enoch walked real close with God. And then what did God do to Enoch? He took him. Enoch walked with God by faith. Faith. Okay. Noah. Noah built the ark. How did Noah build the ark? By faith. We're starting to see the pattern here, aren't we? By faith. Every single thing by faith. But again, I will remind you, notice these things are all different, right? God didn't have Abel build an ark. He had Noah build an ark. God didn't have Noah lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. God had Moses do that. God did not elect Abraham as the first. He didn't have Abraham become the first uh, or the true king of Israel that he anointed. David was the king he had anointed. So what we got to remember is by faith, sometimes that faith looks different in each and every one of our lives. We're going to talk about how that kind of gets played out practically today. This is what we're going to talk about as, as discernment and maturity. As you grow in your walk, you're going to have to learn how to discern things that are helpful to you and things that are harmful, things that help you, things that hinder you, things that lift you up and things that weigh you down. That's what we're going to be speaking of uh, today. And also, I want to remind you, throughout this series, we've been talking about this legacy of faith. And I want to remind you that true legacy always leaves behind it a legacy of faith. The actions themselves are not as important as the faith the actions were carried out in, by faith. So let's go ahead and read Hebrews 12 is where we're going to be at today. We're coming out of Hebrews 11. I'm going to skip a few parts. I'm not going to go into David and all the prophets. We'd, we would spend months if we started going through every single minor and major prophet in the scripture. And that's what even the author says. What more can I say? And starts listing judges and, and prophets and things. But Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, therefore, and this is a little, little joke. You'll, you'll hear this from time to time. Anytime the Bible says, therefore, 
you need to find out what it's there for. That makes sense. It's, it's there for. And, and, and the author tells us right here, therefore, since. So we know this is what it's all there for. He's told us all this. Therefore, now this. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Who's surrounded? We. Okay? Believers, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. As we look at this passage, the author is basically saying, we've looked at all these great heroes of faith. And it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, I start thinking of this in terms of like athletics and, and sports. Who, everybody's been on a, some kind of team at some point, right? Most of us have. Have you ever been on like a, a really winning team? Uh, and I'm talking like a real, uh, the team that whenever y'all went out to play, y'all were going to win. I, I've had the joy and, and the not joy of my life of being on winning teams and not winning teams. Say, I grew up playing, whenever I graduated from White House, we were not good at football. I, I mean, you could almost count, it's about time to go out there and get our butts kicked. Like that, that was just what happened. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I love football. But growing up, I also played baseball. And I'll just, I'll be very honest with you all. Boy, I could hit that ball farther than anybody. The problem was, is I could never hit the ball. So I'd get up and strike out, get up and strike out, get up and strike out. I was not any good at baseball. But the fun part was, is I was on the most stacked team ever of all time. We had a kid who was like 10 years old, could throw 70 miles an hour. We'd go out, I'd trot out to, you know, right field where nobody ever hits the ball. I'd sit there and wait, pick some daisies in right field. That kid get up there, he'd pitch, boom, three up, three down, go back in, jog in, strike out real quick, go sit on the bench, go back out, three up, three down. And we just had an all-star team. And we just won all the, I've got, I've got in my garage, I've got a box, for some reason I hadn't gotten rid of them yet, just full of all these baseball trophies, and I didn't earn a single one of them. I tell you what, I did not earn, I've got a stack of trophies in my garage. I didn't, I didn't do anything to contribute to those. But then I start thinking about that, that that's, that's like our Christian walk. And, and we don't think about it that way because we think, no, you know, these guys live thousands. These guys and gals live thousands of years ago. They don't have anything to do with me. We think that way, but honestly, the Scripture says different. The Scripture says that you are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. As you're running the race, the, the race of life, you are right there among the, the great heroes of our faith. You're counted among them just as we are retelling their stories and looking at how their faith affected the world. You're counted among them as well. That's your team, literally. You're, you're on an all-star team. And the good news is because of the grace of God, the redemption found in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, we don't have to be perfect to earn our way onto this team. God just says, if you want to be on the team, come join and he accepts you, cleanses you, and you end up getting the trophy and the snow cone just like you were on a baseball team. You remember getting the snow cone after the game was the best part of the game growing up. But 
as I think about this, this, this team, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. That's, that's, that's our team. Abraham and, and Joseph and Moses, those aren't just some old dead people we're reading about. Those are our spiritual ancestors. That same spirit that led and guided them is in the heart of every single believer leading and guiding you as well. But the author tells us to lay aside every weight. When you look back at this language, it's interesting. It doesn't just say lay aside every sin, lay aside everything evil, which that makes sense. But it says lay aside every weight and sin. Well, we know sin is evil. So it says lay aside every sin. We know that's the evil stuff. But what are these weights? What are these, these weights that we, we have in life? Again, continuing on with our sports metaphor, let's just pretend that we are professional athlete, like, you know, world-class track star. I'm talking like Usain Bolt status. Let's just say that's kind of how life is. So as a professional athlete, you, you have the, the, the income, the ability to do kind of whatever you want, however you want to spend your time, however you want to train. You, you have the liberty to eat every kind of food you, you could want, right? You can, you can go do anything you want. You've got the income, the availability. You've got the best trainers, the best coaches. You've got everything. But let me ask you this. If you're Usain Bolt and you're getting ready to, to run, you know, uh, the next big race to try to set a world record, do you think it's a good idea to chug a gallon of milk right before you run? Well, hang on, though. Hang on. Don't be dissing milk. Milk's got protein and, and vitamins and calcium. I thought milk was good for you. But if you were to drink a gallon of milk right before you went out and ran, I can tell you how that's going to end up. Okay? I'm not going to get into the, the details. But I think about that. That's where this discernment starts to come into our lives. Knowing, knowing what things weigh you down personally. You know, I'll just be very honest and transparent with y'all. I know some things about myself. I know where I'm weak. I know where I stumble. And one of those is every time I go to Mexican food restaurants, and we got plenty in East Texas. I like to go to Taco El Conquistador. That's my favorite in Bullard. That's amazing. Amen. Hallelujah. Y'all are, ooh, y'all are good people. I love to go there. But it's funny, every time I go there, when they set that chips and salsa in front of you, suddenly you lose every bit of self-control you've ever had. You, you come there, somehow, like at home, you could just eat a regular meal and be stuffed. But when you go to a Mexican food restaurant, they put the chips and salsa. You could eat chips and salsa for 45 minutes straight and then eat the three enchilada dinner. But that's where I know I'm weak. I know that when I get put in that situation, I, I tend to give in. Now, we laugh about that because that's not anything evil. That's not anything. But is that really helpful? Is it really good for me to eat three bowls of chips by myself while I'm sitting at the Mexican food restaurant? And yes, I can do that. It's not helpful to us. So that's why we're told to lay aside every weight and sin. But what does this look like in a spiritual, practical life? Let's think about this real quick. Everything that weighs us down, we know our own weaknesses. Again, the laughing chips and salsa. But what about this? Let's say you're somebody who has a weakness for gossip. Should you be 
spending time catching up on, hanging around the folks that you catch up on all the latest gossip with. And even if you're not participating in the gossip, you may not be saying it, but boy, them ears, they're ready to listen, ain't they? Now, you may not be the one doing it. You may not be stopping it, but is that something that's really going to benefit your spirit? Is that something that's really going to help you out? Lay aside every weight. And this, this can be difficult because we, we have things in our life that are not inherently, we have people and situations and things like that are, that are not inherently evil in themselves. But for some reason, whenever we engage with them, it tends to weigh us down and drag us back into things we shouldn't be doing. Okay, and thanks be to God that our sin can never condemn us back to hell as believers, as Christians. But we get into certain situations, and for some reason, we just slide right back into some old behaviors. And you know what I'm talking about. Everybody's got that friend. You start talking to that friend, and for some reason, you go right back into a completely different mode. And then later, even when you leave that person's presence, you're like, man, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why did I? You know what the Bible, what, what God would tell you is you need to set that weight aside. Might cost you some friends, might cost you some relationships, might cost you some fun places to go. If you know you go somewhere and you get into things that aren't good for you, you need to cast that aside. It's what Paul, in, in several of his letters, would say to put off the old man, the old dead things, and put on the new man. So again, we're, you kind of don't have really an excuse because we're told to lay aside every weight and sin. We've been talking about those weights, but the sin, obviously. As believers, we, we're to have nothing to do with sin. The, the bride of Christ has no business being hooked up to the evil, sinful, dead things that Christ died to save us from. We have no business with those things. I don't really need to spend a whole lot of uh, time in that, but what we do need to remind ourselves of is that we, believers, we are completely redeemed and restored, renewed, adopted, and that'll never change in Christ Jesus. But as we live in this fallen world, sin is crouching at the ready, ready to pull us down, ready to weigh us down. And as I mentioned, for a believer, your sin cannot condemn you to hell. When you are saved by Christ, you are saved. Once you are an adopted child, you don't get unadopted. God doesn't cast his children out once he brings them into his family. But sin can hinder your life. Sin can, can take away from your experience in the joy and the fullness that you should be having. Walking in that sin can cause you problems. It can cause other people problems. You can cause hurts and pains in your life and the life of others through sin. And it tries to render you ineffective so that your light will not shine. Remember last week we were talking about Gideon and how when Gideon won that victory, they surrounded that enemy camp, him and the 300. They had the torches in the jars of clay that they had the torch hidden underneath the jar. And then they smashed the jars. They held up their, their torch. They blew the trumpets and shouted, A sword for the Lord and Gideon. And we talked about how Gideon let his light shine out of that jar of clay. And it's the same thing that Paul would later interpret and say that we have this treasure, this light of Christ, this life in jars of clay, your body. You were made from the dust and to dust you shall return. 
We have this in jars of clay that we can smash this, die to ourselves, that our light may shine forth. And the world may see that this all-surpassing power is from God and not us. What sin tries to do is tries to hide that light in you. Sin can't put that light out. It can't extinguish it. But it can hide it and cover it so that you become ineffective for God. But we're to lay those things aside. We're to have nothing to do with sin. We're to have nothing to do with things that weigh us down. And if you were to do an honest evaluation of your life, there's several things that we like to carry around that we should let go of and lay down. But we don't want to because we get used to it. We get used to that friendship. We get used to that place. We get used to that thing. And we're not ready to let go of it. But we're to lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. And as we, as we run our race, okay, uh, so again, we must run with endurance in this fallen world. And, and, I, and I noticed this too, for, for the, that whenever Jesus, it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And we talked about how, you know, Abel's life was different than Noah's, was different than Moses, was different than Abraham, was different than David. Each one of us have a specific calling in life and a specific race that we are to run. And there's things in your life, again, that you need to set aside. There's things that God is calling you to, and there's things that God is calling you away from. And as you grow in your faith and in your knowledge of God, you have to start using discernment on when to do what. Now, we know it's never the right time to do sin. We know that. But there's things that will come into your life that will seem like good things. They'll almost seem like God things. But really, they might be a hindrance and a weight for you because God has something else for you. So you have to learn how to, how to follow God and how to discern what he would have you do. And what we got to remember about this, again, our life, sin can no longer overcome us. And that is because Christ has overcome sin by putting it to death on the cross. As a believer, your sin is nailed to the cross, is what Colossians 2 tells us. Your sin is nailed to the cross. So you get to live the rest of your life completely free. You can run your race victoriously, knowing that the prize is yours. So why don't we always run like that? Why don't we always run as those who are completely victorious in Christ? Nothing in this world can take, can remove you from Christ. Nothing can keep you from Christ. You have him and all of him and everything that is good from his inheritance is yours. Just run victoriously. The problem is, is we start getting our eyes fixed on the wrong things. That's just the truth of the matter. We're, we're human and, and living in this world. We, we get our eyes fixed on the wrong things. The scripture tells us to fix our eyes on Christ. But we start getting our eyes fixed on the wrong things. And think about it this way. If, if you're running a race, right? If you are, let's say you were Usain Bolt, you're the world record runner. You start running this race. You think you're going to win if the whole time all you're doing is staring at that person who's right beside you neck and neck or right behind you. Where you cannot run a race effectively effectively 
to the fullness that you're able to run if your head's cocked back like this the whole time. That's not how you run, is it? Oh, sorry, I didn't realize that was there. I was too busy watching them. It's a silly metaphor, but it, it makes a lot of sense. There's oftentimes we're so concerned with fixing our eyes on the things of this world or comparing ourselves to other people or even worse, being like, they're not running as good as I'm running. Look at how good I'm running. And when we do that, what happens is we're not running to the fullness that we have been enabled and gifted and blessed to run in. You've been given the ability in your life, in your Christian life, to run as the, with the greatest of all time. You look back at those heroes of faith and you think about all the great faithful acts that Abraham and David, that's your faith too. You can run your race just like them. If you'll keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the one who created this whole thing. He's the one who started this. And then we're also told he's the one who actually completes it for us. That's what it means there when it says perfecter. Number one, Jesus lived his life in perfect faith, completely connected to the Father, completely relying on him in everything. But he perfected our faith for us. And we get to live in his completed work of faith. So as we look at Christ, another thing we must remember is that in this whole thing, that he is both the journey and the destination. We're, we're running our race in life to get to Jesus. And the only way we get to him is, A, because of him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He's the way, and he's also the prize itself. We get to run victoriously in him because he ran that perfect race. Because he did everything the way we should have done. And it says that he ran for the joy that was set before him. And we all know what Jesus came to do. Jesus was born on this earth, fully God. He's the second person of the Trinity. Becomes a man. Becomes a man. He's fully God, fully man. He is one of us. Becomes a man. And God gives him his own race. We know that his entire life is leading him up to that cross. And it says, for the joy that was set before him. I don't really have to explain. It's kind of a rhetorical question to ask. But is there any joy in dying on a cross? No. In fact, it's the most horrific and humiliating death. It's a torturous death that Rome conceived to humiliate and just destroy somebody and kill them and do it in a way that everybody could see from miles around when they're coming into town the most shameful death and jesus experienced that who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross but what is that joy that joy is sitting in this room right now the joy that was set before him is you 
was redeeming you, was saving you, was plunging you out of all of your darkness and sin and shame and vileness, reaching out and rescuing you and seating you with himself in heavenly places. That was his joy. That was the very reason that he endured the cross was so that no matter what you have ever done or will ever do, that by faith in Christ, if you repent of your sin, which means to turn away from your sin, and you believe in Christ, you are saved. That was his joy. And we've been looking at all these people uh, that, that God counted as righteous by their great acts and all these things. And I love how the author brings, culminates this all to Jesus. All these other people point us to Jesus. And it says, who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Make no bones about it. Jesus did not enjoy the cross. He enjoyed saving you. And now he's seated at the right hand of God. The, big, the highest place of honor in the entire universe. He's been given everything, the name above every name. He's given the seat of honor. All power and authority are his. What a wonderful blessing that is. But I want to go look at this real quick as well. Because his reward becomes our reward. If we go to Ephesians 2, I'm going to read this passage real quick. Um, it, it's 10 verses, so just hang tight with me. 10 verses, because I want to make, there's so much good stuff in here. Go back later today, tonight, reread this. Ephesians 2, Paul is talking to the believers at Ephesus. Christians, okay? He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, putting off the old man, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He said, you once walked in all this evil stuff, among whom we all once lived. Every one of us were guilty of sin. Ain't nobody righteous by themselves except the Lord Jesus. If you are saved, it is because at one point you were a sinner. Now you're redeemed. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, we were by nature children of wrath, just like everybody else. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us, okay, you were dead, in your trespasses, just like everybody else, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now listen, I like that by grace you have been saved. You need to know that. But let's put those two things together. Made us alive together with Christ. Now verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him. In heavenly places. Where did Hebrews just say back in Hebrews 12? It say that Christ is. He is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Paul tells us here that we are raised up with him and seated us with him. Where is Christ? At the right hand of God. Where are you? You're seated with him. I'm telling you, your mind should be blown by that. As a believer, you are seated with 
Christ. He's the one who did all the work. He's the one who did everything. He deserves all the glory, power, and honor. His name's above every other name. But for some reason, he loves you so much that he wants to share all of his blessings with you. Let's just be honest. But let's, let's, what? That's who he is. That's how he loves us. And that's why as, as, we, as we go through life, I'm going to read this real quick. So they seated us in the heavenly places, right? So that, verse 7, in the coming ages, this is why he sat us there with him. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. How much grace? Immeasurable riches of his grace. When I say God is pouring his grace out and pouring his grace out and pouring, you can't measure the riches of his grace that he's poured out on you. The immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. And get ready for this, verse 10. This is where I wanted us to get to. We are his workmanship. We're literally his masterpiece. That's what the actual word is. We're his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you may walk in them. Listen to me, believer. You are God's masterpiece. God had his son die for you so that he could raise you up and make you something totally new. And that new creation that he made you in Christ is his masterpiece. And what were you created for? You were created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared for you that you should walk in them. I'll tell you, that's your overarching purpose in life. You say, why, why, did God, why did God make me? What am I here for? What am I? If you're a believer, God created you in Christ Jesus as his masterpiece for good works that he prepared for you, that you should walk in them. So that's why whenever we talk about running this, this race and casting aside every weight, you're not made as a believer for the old dead things of this world. You're not made to be tied down with sin. You're not made for evil. You are made for good things which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. That is your purpose. That is your calling. And those good things are any number of things. We can't even begin to fathom that. It looks different for me than it does for my wife, than it does for Matt, than it does for Buster, than it does for any of us. God prepared, made you for good things that you should walk in them. And as you walk, as you run this race, you are to run victoriously because of the victory that we have in Christ. I talked about that great team, you know, that by faith. We're running with all these great teammates, you know. I thought about my baseball team, and, and if, I, if it was by faith, I'd be like, you know, a, you know Abraham's our pitcher, and, and the, on first base is Moses, and I'm starting thinking about all this. That's, that's the team we're on. But the most important thing is we also got the MVP. When he comes up to bat, the other team, the world, Satan throws that ball to him. He points that finger out there. Bosh, clack, just boom, grand slam every time. Jesus. I started thinking about that. It reminded me of, of that scene. Yeah, everybody remembers the movie Sandlot, right? Sandlot, classic. If you haven't seen Sandlot, 
You need to go see it. It's a whole classic funny movie. But there's a, there's a point in the movie, if you remember the premise, the boy steals the baseball off of his stepdad's uh, room, like his trophy room, because the baseball has a signature on it. But the boy doesn't know whose name's on the baseball. So he takes it. They go out, and they're playing baseball, and it gets knocked over the fence on like a, a, a great hit or whatever. But the boy doesn't know whose name was on that baseball. And so he says, finally, whenever the, the ball goes over, he's like, guys, you know what? we got to get that ball back. And, and he says, uh, one of the friends says, so you swiped a ball signed by Babe Ruth. And you remember uh, Smalls, you know, you're killing me, Smalls, the boy who doesn't know anything. He goes, yeah, you keep telling me that. Who is she? Because he thought it was Baby Ruth. He thought it was some lady. And the, everybody's like, what? And they're like, what are you talking about? And they're, they're talking about this. They go, the Sultan of Swat, the King of Crash, the Colossus of Clout, the Colossus of Clout. Remember the boy that like repeated everything his brother said? And then they're all like, Babe Ruth. And then finally Porter, the, the, the catcher, he's like, the great Bambino. And then when it hits that kid, he's like, you mean that's the same guy? On our spiritual team, it would be like if we were that little boy and Babe Ruth was on our team. But even better than Babe Ruth is, is Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the Son of God, the Alpha and the Omega, the author and perfecter of our faith, the conquering King. That's who's on your team. That's whose victory you walk in. And that's whose life you are to look at and to follow and let him lead you. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you today as we've been spending the last few weeks looking at all these people in Scripture who, who did all of these amazing things by faith. And they were counted as righteous. And they were used mightily for your kingdom and your purposes. But they were just like us, God. They were sinners. They were lost. They had pasts. They had done things that should have kept them separated from you for all eternity. But yet, because of your grace, by faith, they, they went from being your enemies, from being murderers and conspirators, they went from darkness to light by faith because they trusted in you. They turned away from themselves. They turned away from their sin and turned to you, believing in you. And God, I pray that you would show us how to keep doing the same thing for those who don't believe in the name of Jesus. I pray, God, that you would show them, show them how to turn away from themselves. Show them the truth about who your son is and what he has done to free them forever. But God, for, for, for those of us who are believers, we need reminding of this every single day because our eyes wander. We should have our eyes just totally, perfectly fixed on Jesus, but we get distracted. We start looking at the things of this world. We start looking at others. We start comparing others. And instead of worrying about our own race, we start looking at everything else. 
God, I, I pray that you would remind us to keep our eyes fixed on you. I pray that you would reveal to us those things in our lives that we don't see as weights, that we don't understand as sin, God. I pray that your spirit would convict us of sin, that we can toss it aside and run freely in you. And those things that weigh us down, God, show us the fullness that they're keeping us from. Show us the the joy that we're missing out on. And help us run freely as those who are your blood-bought and blessed children. God, teach us how to run freely. Teach us how to run with faith. Teach us how to take every single step by faith, trusting in you. Not trusting in circumstances, certainly not looking to our own past, but looking forward to your son, Jesus, who is here with us now and forevermore because of his great and wonderful sacrifice. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross that we could be redeemed and freed to live unto you. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we pray that you would do great things among us. We pray this in the name of our Lord, our Savior, and our King Jesus. Amen.